0: Hello and welcome to the Thursday edition of the Upper Bowl GM podcast. My name is Nick and As promised, we've got a whole bunch of draft talk with PJ Clark, one of the hosts of Boomer Bust the Draft Show. PJ spends most of his free time scouring over tape, reading player evaluations, working on evaluations of his own. This is one of the real key points of the year where you really have a good feel on who's good at evaluating talent and who isn't. You get an understanding of what media sources produce reliable news and who are being used by other teams as a means of advancing a narrative to make their situation more advantageous leading up to the draft. Everybody knows something this time of year, but no one actually knows anything is what I like to say. We're going to talk about all things draft-related, we'll talk pro days, all that kind of stuff. But before I get to the conversation with Peter, I'm to please help grow the show. The show is doing better each week. We are slowly but surely getting an uptick in listens every week. We are getting subscribers. We are getting reviews. All of that stuff means the absolute world to me. So I'll say it again. I say it every episode. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please hit the subscribe button. If you have the the time, please leave a review. Go to the episode page, scroll all the way to the bottom, leave a five star review. And if you have another minute on top of that, leave a written review, please. Those do mean a lot. Those help a ton. If you are on Spotify, Google Play, Audio Boom, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, any other podcasting platform, it's for us to follow. We're doing our best here. We're producing a lot of content. We've got good guests lined up for next week and be talking a few different things. We're going to be talking about the Nashville Predators, who supposedly going to be active at the trade deadline but have kind of gotten themselves back into a groove where they might end up being in the mix for that fourth playoff spot in the central division we're going to talk rangers next week there's a lot on the docket and of course as we inch closer to the draft we're going to start circling back around to college football and the nfl which is of course one of the things i like to talk about the most maybe not maybe the most even more so than hockey i love talking about the draft it's my favorite time of year I say it every single year. It is the convergence of the NFL and the college football world where someone like me who spends upwards of thirty hours a week watching football between Monday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and the occasional Wednesday night action game on top of that. This is where It's my time to shine, basically, is how I'll describe it. I watch an ungodly amount of football to be prepared for this time of year to project where guys would fit, where they would make sense based on what teams actually need versus what those teams think they need. This is a very fun show. It's always good to have PJ. I will see you guys on the other side of the drop.
1: T-Rob lines up. Now they rush forward. Next looking left side. Fade route towards the Gamecock bench. Jump ball with Williams. Incomplete. Nicely covered by J.C. Horn.
0: And with that i managed to drag him out of the film room in between classes he's one of the hosts of boomer bust the draft show how you doing pj
1: living the dream brother it's uh yesterday was 70 degrees in syracuse and we're getting uh like eight inches of snow overnight so the duality of man uh but it is uh it is a good time to be stuck inside snowed in to talk about football so
0: my favorite time of year is a football no, But
1: It's the best time. It's the best time.
0: We all get to project our hopes and dreams onto college students who were, you know, getting meal swipes at the buffet just like us a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. I mean, not really, but that's what we like to pretend. I mean, the, the Supreme Court kind of bitched out the NCAA this morning, which was good to see. Very good
1: to yeah, see. Yeah, it's great. Very I mean, good to see. let's see where it goes from here, but it's great.
0: Shout out Northwestern. Good, good for them. Good for the Thank nerds.
1: You. Thank you. Thank you to the nerds. Thank you to Rashawn Slater. Um, thank you to Northwestern. Yes. I guess Pat Fitzgerald is in there too.
0: You are here obviously to talk about the NFL drafts, which is one of my favorite days on the calendar. I am one of the diehard nerd freaks who will sit here for all seven rounds on a party in an Xbox party with my friends, watch all seven rounds and legitimately be arguing about picks in the middle of the fifth round about if this guy's going to be a starter or if he could be a fill in if someone gets hurt. So, this is the right place to be if you're one of those people who's going to watch all seven rounds of the draft. So before we get into actual individual players, one of the things I wanted to talk with you about is evaluating information and what this time of year is actually used for. So
1: Smoke screen season, baby. Let's go.
0: Exactly. Smoke screens, due diligence. Um, we're trying to figure that out. We have to make some calls. So the first thing I wanted to talk to you about is What is the point of Pro Days slash the Combine? Because we obviously know that what you see during those events, the drills players are run through, those aren't football situations. You do not run 40 yards in a straight line. You do not have to bench press in a football game. You don't have to do a three-cone drill. What is the point of all of these drills? Uh,
1: I think the point, first and foremost, is, especially this year, um, for teams to get an up-close look to see who's in shape. Um, I think first and foremost, if you showed up in bad shape, especially if you were a guy that opted out of the season, it's going to be pretty obvious. Um, so I think that, that, and then secondarily to that, I think the most important part of the combine and to some extent it's easier now to some extent it's not as easy uh, with zoom interviews. Cause you still only get 30 visits, but like at least at the combine, you're in the same room. Like you can put tape on a screen and, and kind of walk through it with guys. We've all seen the, the DK Metcalf clip with Pete Carroll where they both take their shirt off. Like you get to know guys. I feel like at the combine more, more than you would anywhere else, especially maybe guys that you don't necessarily use one of your 30 visits on. Now we have no idea um, it's not like teams are tweeting out that guys went to the facilities. it's It's definitely harder to keep track of who is talked to who. You're getting only versions of you know at a pro day, somebody will say like, oh, I talked to the cowboys or whatever like I, I, it's pretty much where we're at. Um, but I, I, a lot of this is leaked from agents. A lot of this is leaked from players themselves. Who wants what information out there. You know, what does San Francisco want to put out there now picking third on, on their internal? I mean, nothing nothing got leaked on that trade. Like, that trade just happened. Both of them just happened. Um, nobody had any idea that it was coming. And, and and clearly, the first trade was contingent on the second trade on Miami's end. And the fact that nobody was, was wise to it until it literally happened, I think, is a testament to – it's pretty. It's probably it's easier to to keep things under wrap now because you're not dealing with the media face to face at pro at, at necessarily pro days for some schools. I mean, Syracuse had a pro day that was close to the media, um, and at the combine, certainly is where you would think a lot of relationships are built between agencies and team team guys and, and the media, especially. And we just don't have that anymore.
0: Of all the pro day numbers, which ones are – which drills are actually important? Or is it all kind of just uh, we're running them through these drills, but it's more about get it, making a connection with the player, getting to understand them? Is it that kind of thing? Are there key I benchmarks?
1: I think it's easier to have a bad pro day matter than a good pro day matter, if that mm. makes sense. Like Mac, Mac yesterday wasn't great. I, I, he overthrew a lot of balls. I mean, the Belichick clip went viral. Whoever was directing the pro day for SEC network on the one overthrow with the hard cut to Kyle's face, like deserves an award. <laughs> um, but I think it's easier to have that happen or Paris Ford was terrible uh, for, for Pitt. This is a guy that opted out halfway through the year and I really loved his tape um but just showed up and, and ran a four nine as a safety and he's not a big like just was terrible I'm tested in you know the first or second percentile of every drill for safeties and that's obviously it's not what you want so i think it's very easy to have a bad pro day and this is not to say that mac jones is you know screwed because he didn't throw that way so he's still going to go in the first round he's still going to go probably in the top ten like it's going to happen but if you're Paris Ford, the difference between being drafted and not being drafted is like you had a you had a bad pro day a- after opt- opting out. So we have a smaller sample size on this season of you anyway. And then you 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 opted out, too trained for your pro day, and you showed up out of shape. I think that crosses you off a lot of team sports. Positions
0: wise, are there any positions where that kind of stuff is more important? Is it more important for a quarterback to have a good one because they need to be able to sit down and explain things about their offense, what they're familiar with to the coach? Or is it defensive backs learning how to deal with defensive coordinators at the NFL level? Are there is there a single position group where you feel like th- this time of year is more important than others?
1: Um, I kind of sneaky think. I, I Obviously, I think secondary goes a lot into it, um, having to deal with coordinators and different coordinators, different teams want different types of guys, and you have to kind of whittle down your board to the fact where a guy like JC Horn, who Mm. I've said since November is going to be the first corner off the board, even though he's not my highest graded guy necessarily, I have him and Sertan very much so in the same tier, but I have Sertan a little bit above him jc horn is a a press man corner physical dude and that's what the nfl values and that's why he's going to go really really high and this is not to say that he's a hell of a player but he didn't play zone at all at south carolina and if you're running if you're dallas who really needs a corner and dan quinn is your defensive coordinator now and dan quinn is is the the legion of boom like known for running cover three you're probably not drafting jc horn and like you have to be able to make that decision now or if you're – I'm sure Dallas has or will talk to J.C. Horn before the draft. And you got to gauge his, his comfortableness with playing in his own scheme because he's just – he's never done it before. It doesn't exist on tape. So I think secondary, it's definitely going to matter. There are guys, especially at the safety position, that there are some box guys. There are some deep guys. And then there are just – this is a really weird safety class in that where some guys are tremendous ball hawks, but because they're ball hawks, they don't actually do anything in terms of assignments and you got to figure out whether you want to take the risk if you can actually feel comfortable interviewing a guy and wanting to coach them up um and then this is also a secondary class with a lot of positional versatility there are a lot of guys that can play out either outside and slot or slot and safety elijah molden from washington is a guy that Is probably the best slot corner in this class but a lot of teams have him graded out as a safety because that's where he played this year and he was a hell of a safety too but in 2019 he was the best slot corner in the country and he's one of the best corners in the country exclusively playing the slot so you have to determine where do you want if you're drafting elijah moulton in the top 50 do you want to play him at safety or do you want to play him in the slot and that it's kind of is he a safety or is he a linebacker? I thought he was a safety. He was not necessarily great as a linebacker this year. I thought it was a mistake, but Jeremiah Usu now at Notre Dame Pro Day today, teams are going to be, is he a strong safety because he only weighs 210 pounds, or is he actually going to play weak side linebacker? And you got to figure that out, and that's where this is all going to come in. And when you have defensive weapons like that kind of guy, I'm not so sure it matters, but it's going to matter to some teams more than others where you can fit them in schematically. So I think actually it might matter more for defense than anything else in terms of interviews, trying to figure out who is comfortable playing what scheme. Quarterbacks, obviously, you want to work through and see what they know and what they don't know in terms of your specific scheme. But in terms of drills, I think for offensive tackles, like seeing Walker Little, a guy who hasn't played in in three years now at this point due to various injuries and opted out this year, ran set what would have been the combine record in the three-con. I think that's really important for a guy we haven't seen play football in three years and got first-round hype heading into last year towards ACL in the first game and then opted out this year. We haven't seen him since he was a freshman, and he was one of the best pass protectors in the country three years ago. But to see him very clearly after – essentially two years off from football in shape and setting records like that. I think that's important too.
0: Do you think we've kind of moved past a point where teams need to see that high level production at the college level or, and against good competition, do you feel like teams are more comfortable drafting guys based solely on traits and their physical ability? And they feel that a good coaching staff will be able to prepare them. I mean, the obvious examples are Mahomes, Josh Allen, to some extent, guys who went to smaller schools didn't play particularly tough competition or if they did play tough competition like Mahomes at, at um tech they didn't really have a ton of winning success do you feel we're kind of getting to a point now where coaching staffs are so confident in their ability to get stuff out of guys that it doesn't really matter to reach that highest threshold of success at the college level
1: um i actually think that we will kind of get the case study this year because a lot of teams weren't able to go to various places throughout the season and there are a lot of opt-outs who haven't played now I think the actual case study for traits versus production and how good do you think this guy could be with your coaching staff I think it's going to be Greg Rousseau and it's a guy that is ginormous he's six seven and on tape, at least like he had gaudy numbers. He had 15 and a half sacks in his, in his one year, but half of those were coverage sacks. He was on a good Miami offensive line. The ACC is not the best conference in college football. And it's going to come down to like, Hey, there are no six, seven edge rushers in the NFL <laughs> currently. Um, so I don't know. I've been a big proponent of, I don't love him as a player no matter what, but I was, I'm a big proponent of just move him inside and throw some more weight on him. Cause he's six, seven and 265 pounds, which like in our, in our scouting report, I contended the DeForest Buckner who's got 30 pounds on him. And it's like, that's the type, type of guy I think he can be with those arms and that reach DeForest Buckner, six seven two ninety five, but there's a 30 pound difference there. And DeForest Buckner is an inside, you know, defensive end and Greg Russo thinks he's playing on the edge. And, and some teams are going to have to figure that out. So if you think you can take this, this elite physical trait guy who is literally bigger, who who charts ridiculously and then, you know, the production is a lot of coverage sacks. It's only one year. The tape is not necessarily great. He's just big. He's just long. He's got long arms. I think that's gonna be I don't know if I don't know if Greg Rousseau goes in the first round. I don't have a first round grade on him. I hope he doesn't. like I don't think he's worth a, a first round player in an edge class that doesn't have like really the top tier guy to me is Jalen Phillips is by far the best player on tape, but he's got a, a lot of concerns with with injury history and you know he he retired. like there's gonna be medical and love of football quote unquote questions with him. But there is no Nick Bosa, Miles Garrett like type of thing here, which we, we've been or even like even there's no like Josh Allen. Like yeah. Josh Allen would have been the the best edge rusher in this class by far. Or or like Brian Burns, like that class, Bosa Allen and, and, and Burns would all be the best edge rusher in this class. And there's we've been blessed recently yeah. with a lot of high quality edges and a lot of high quality edge classes that are deep. And this is just like you can take, like, you know, the top six could go in any order, and I can't really be mad at it. I definitely think some guys are better than others, but, like, Jason Owe, another guy that's getting first-round hype, had no sacks. Yeah. Like, no, there is no there's no production, but he runs a four three five, and he's he's got a crazy motor. And it's like, okay, if you think you can take that guy who hasn't sacked anybody in two years – uh, but is the fastest edge rusher in the history of the NFL? Okay, if you think you could coach that guy up, take him in the twenties. I think he might even go higher because of the crazy athleticism. But he hasn't done anything, hasn't yeah. shown it. So I think it's I think this year, especially with the edge, because there is no clear cut best player it's going to be traits versus production because so many guys have traits and no production. And there are a lot of guys, Patrick Jones, Rashad Weaver, both pit guys have a ton of production, but the traits, Patrick Jones has small arms. Rashad Weaver is not a great athlete, might not be there as much as other guys. So I actually think the edge class is going to be the case study in how well do people think they can coach and whether it's going to work or not.
0: I feel like we're, I've, by process of elimination, I feel like coaching has gotten better in the NFL by default. Uh, obviously, the bad coaches get fired, and you only get so many chances at it, even as a coordinator, before you get kicked down the road. I think
1: definitely, and this is bizarre to say, right, it, it, in the way that we're trending here, I think defensive coaching has definitely gotten better. I think you can you can maximize these trait guys and certain schemes and it with certain coaches better than you ever could have before. And then I think offense has just become, it's easy to scheme guys touches. If you have these crazy trait, like, you know, Anthony Schwartz is, is a like an Olympian caliber sprinter? He's going to go in the fourth round. You can scheme that guy touches and like it's going to work because he's literally faster than everybody on the field. But you can like, that's a guy who just has traits. And the only tape he has is bubble screens and arounds and burning guys on nines. And it's like, okay, I'd like to see a little bit more, but, and, and to a lesser extent, this is Jalen Waddle. Like Jalen Waddle is yeah. a slam dunk, like great player and is also going to be faster than anybody on the field. But Jalen Waddle at least has a, a de- more of a developed route tree, has more production, but a guy like Anthony Schwartz is like, somebody's going to take him and make an effort to get the ball in his hands. Cause he has this game breaking speed. But I think on defense, it's harder to coach the trait guys because you can't just like say, "Oh, we're gonna force feed Anthony Swartz the ball on a bubble screen and he's gonna outrun everybody down the sideline." Like, no shit, he's gonna be able to do that. He's an Olympic sprinter. But like, if somebody can can take Jason Oway's four three and turn him into a real football player, I think that's gonna be the testament to defensive coaching.
0: It's very weird because I feel that the coaches have gotten better in my lifetime. the, The quality of play has gotten better. I know I wrote something back in the fall that we've never had better quarterback play. Even the bad quarterbacks today would be pretty good as recently as like 10 years ago, a guy like Daniel Jones, just based on physical ability is better than a lot of the mediocre quarterbacks in the league 10 years ago, where you're talking about someone traits wise, Daniel Jones against someone like a Jay Cutler or a Kyle Lorton who was getting meaningful starts for teams that thought they were contenders. Daniel Jones isn't better than either of those guys, but physical traits wise and the production you're able to. Oh, I mean, it's
1: just like every year, better athletes come in, in and in, and it's like, you can drag. And it's like, I hate to be like this example, but like (laughs) Like, everybody always comes back to, like, Kirk Cousins. It's like, he's not great, but if you, you run enough play action and it's like, he's fine. He's going to be yeah. able to win you games, and he's not going to lose you games. It's like, is Kirk Cousins a great quarterback? By no measure. Like, none. But has Kirk Cousins been to the playoffs a bunch of times? Has Kirk Cousins won a lot of games in Minnesota because of the way they scheme him? Yeah, and, and necessarily, does a guy like Jay Cutler have more talent than Kirk Cousins? Yeah, but the way that offense is now schemed it's easier to be quote unquote bad. Kirk Cousins is not bad. Derek Carr is not necessarily bad, but these guys are not great. But they win a lot of games and they have these crazy numbers just because it's, you know, this is the way we're trending.
0: The last part of this philosophical discussion before we get to actually talking about players and teams, I wanted to touch on was where do you stand in terms of team building when you're talking about using free agency, using the draft, and then trading for talent? Where are you? Because the conventional wisdom is, you build through the draft, you plug holes in free agency, and you trade for a depressed asset. Those are really – those are the benchmarks you hear from people in football media. Do you agree with that, or are you a little bit different?
1: So the the one thing that I – it's not that I have a problem with it because because inherently it is correct. Yes. But the the problem with – you you free agency for need obviously you throw money at problems right that's the easiest way to fix them is you throw money at problems and teams historically at least recently that throw money at problems do not solve those problems the jets primarily <laughs> uh have not solved any problem relative they've spent the most in free agency since 2015 and they have the lowest winning percentage since that's how that works but in theory the good teams the packers i think are a great example Packers completely retooled their their de- edge rushers. They bought relatively low on Zadarius Smith and now he's a superstar. Right? They threw money at the problem of not having a pass rush and now it's fine. And they've won a lot of games because of Zadarius Smith. The problem with drafting for value as your number one philosophy is that that's how you end up being the Jets and drafting like seven defensive tackles in the top 5 is because if you're just taking best player available, best player available, best player available, cool, you drafted Wilkerson, the next year you draft Sheldon Richardson, and then two years after that, you draft Leonard Williams. They all play the same, and then two years after that, you draft Quinton. They all play the same position. And I understand that Mo Wilkerson was already out of the picture by the time Quinton came around, Sheldon Richardson was already out of the picture, but... If you just continue drafting for value for value for value, you end up being the Jets with nine consecutive first round picks being spent on defense because that was the best player available on your board. And and then you get to the point where if you just think this is a Mike McKagan special, Mike McKagan took super seniors, like 24-year-old rookies, Marcus May, the only good one, but Marcus May was a 24-year-old rookie. Everybody seems to forget this. Everybody's up in arms because the Jets didn't want to pay Marcus May. I wouldn't tag the 28-year-old guy either. I'd tag him again next year, and then he could walk when he's 30. That's how this is going to work. But so you're drafting these super seniors, right? And it's like whatever. Mike McKay – you draft for value. It's either his positional value was off or he just overvalued bad players. But Mike McKay didn't, didn't draft an offensive lineman before the fifth round, and that's why the Jets are where they are because they have no offensive talent. The wide receivers he drafted were A, old, and B, bad, and then he didn't draft offensive linemen, and that's why the Jets, instead of taking a Jerry Judy, a C.D. Lamb had to take Beckton. They didn't really have a choice last year, and you passed up two elite wide receiver prospects to take a tackle. You know, it happens. It's easier to find wide receiver talent later in the draft now because wide receivers, and we're starting, I think, to see a little bit of more tight ends. When you're when you're a kid, I said this the last time we talked. When you're yeah. a kid, you're you're the best athletes. You're getting the ball in their hands, so they're playing wide receiver now. And it's like every year, the wide receiver classes are going to get deeper and deeper, if not better and better at the top, at least deeper and deeper. Like you got Mims at pick sixty last year. Great, that's a first round talent. You're gonna be able to find crazy guys in the second round this year. Like like Terrace Marshall. Yeah. I don't know if Terrace Marshall's any good. Like <laughs> it's he, been a while. Like, I don't know if Terrace Marshall's any good. He opted out halfway through this year. He was the the number three to, to Jets and Chase during the national championship team. It's like – and this year, it looked like, A, LSU was terrible, and yeah. B, their quarterbacks weren't good. So it looked like for, for the – he had good numbers at least, but it looked like he was just going through the motions on tape, and you would have liked to see more effort, and that's a guy that like – all right. Terrace Marshall could fall out of the first round. And if you're yeah. picking in the top of the second, or even like if he gets to 50, like there's totally a chance that Terrace Marshall is this first round talent that I'm sure a lot of people have graded as a first round talent. And a lot of teams do. I'm quite sure. Cause he's got all the physical traits. He's got everything you ever want. It's just not entirely there on tape. And it's like, okay, so t- Terrace Marshall, you can have a pick 50. Whereas like, you know, five years ago, Terrence Marshall's like going in the first round. And yep. it's like, just because that's where the wide receiver position was. Whereas like a guy that's wide receiver 10 this year, retroactively is probably like wide receiver two or three. It's like everything. It's easy to get better. So if you're just drafting for value is Jerry Judy, was Jerry Judy like the third best prospect on my board last year. Yeah. Just as a football player. But if you're drafting for for value, that's how he falls to 14 is mm-hmm. because people think they can find this wide receiver talent later on. And quite frankly, you can. So the problem I have with drafting for value is that that's say you get stuck in these situations where you're doubling and tripling down on, on positions that you might already have or positions of strength just because, oh my God, we're picking 27th and this linebacker who is not necessarily positional valued anymore. But this linebacker was 15th on our board who cares if we already have 3 we're getting 12 picks of value in the first round and we got to do it it's like if you're just going for value then at least positionally value them accurately like if you're drafting for value draft a whole bunch of offensive tackles yeah. or draft like cornerbacks yes. don't draft interior defensive line and that's where I think a lot of teams fall into that trap to a lesser extent. I think Washington has done it too. They've taken a lot of interior defensive linemen. The difference between them and the Jets is all of the guys they draft are good, yeah. but they've drafted a lot of defensive linemen. They've drafted every Alabama defensive lineman that comes out and it's like, okay, like great. You got a great defensive line. What else? What have you done for me lately? They got, again, Terry McLaurin is another guy that's a superstar receiver that they found in the third round, but you know, you when you double double down on on Durant Payne and and Jonathan Allen in back to back drafts, it's like, okay, like sure you did it, you got two good players. They play the same position, the defensive tackles. Like what are you doing?
0: And you already had Ionitis there already, who's another interior defensive yeah. lineman. Yeah, yeah, it's it's frustrating to see. I I know I get into this a lot. I've been having this discussion with a few of my friends. A lot of my friends think we're going to go quarterbacks one, two, three, and somewhere else in that top four, ten. And that's going to depress another position group down a little bit. And a few of them are thinking wide receivers are going to be there in the teens for teams that are already pretty good. And that's a good way to transition to this next part of the conversation where you actually start talking a little bit about guys on the board. So you think the draft starts at three? You think it's definitely Lawrence Wilson one, two from Uh, everything
1: we're seeing? I actually said this this morning to one of my friends. I think that if the Jets don't draft Zach Wilson, I think it's the best executed smokescreen of all time. Um, And the Jets are not a team that uh, I would have any faith to pull that off. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I think the draft starts at three. I don't necessarily know that three matters who it is. I think in in any event, I think Atlanta should trade out. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the team that really got screwed in all of this is Carolina. Because Atlanta will not trade with Carolina um, if they're smart. Or, you know, if Carolina wants to overpay, then even then it's iffy. But you would at least have to think about it if Carolina is offering you surplus value on top of what anybody else is is offering you. Um, I think New England is an interesting team to try to move up um, because they're not far down enough at 15 where it would be asinine. Like, I think Chicago is probably out of range at 12 which is sucks for them because they're screwed, but whatever. I think Chicago's probably out of range. Philly trading back, in theory, takes another quarterback team off the market. So it's like Atlanta, the way they restructured Matt Ryan's deal, I don't think it's in the cards. Mm-hmm. I, I would be very surprised. So Atlanta could sit there and take Kyle Pitts, which would be great, or Atlanta could trade out to... I think the most likely team to jump up is Denver considering that they're not that low. You're still in the top 10. And I think being still in the top 10 is, is the important part here. Um, so I think, especially if Mac Jones goes third, I think there will be a team to jump up to four, um, and even uh, again, like it depends. It's so hard because Chicago is so far back, and that's the obvious answer. But it's like, could Miami trade out of six if something happened and a quarterback was still there? It, is a quarterback still there? This is something I've thought a lot about because Miami, the the first trade, great, perfect, exactly what you had to do. The second trade doesn't make sense. The second trade. The second trade is. You clearly I think the way to read the second trade is that and this is this is me rationalizing it. This is not me like reading the tea leaves. I don't think they're gonna do this. But to me, if you make that second trade, you think if Trey Lance or Justin Fields is there, you're taking them. I that's mm-hmm. why you trade back up. I think you have to come to terms with that. If you're Miami and you're making that second deal, is like, yeah, you could be targeting Devonte at six because I think stupidly Chase at five is pretty much sharpied unless he goes at four. Mm-hmm. I think that's very stupid, but I think Burrow's pushing hard enough for that that I'm I'm willing to sharpie that in. So yeah, you could be like playing for Devonte there, but in the back of your head, you got to think. If your QB three is on the board six, you got to be ready to take them now, because I don't get why. And a lot of people, we did it, we did an emergency episode the day that trade happened, like two hours after, and a lot of people got mad at us in the comments saying, when we said what the hell is my doing, they were like, they they got a one and a three to trade back three spots. and It's like no, they they didn't, because those two trades. As you have to – whether they were or weren't, which I would venture to believe they weren't. I would venture to believe they were connected. But objectively speaking, they're not. You did not have to make one trade to make the other one. You did not have to make that first trade and then make the Philly trade. You could have just sat. And if you sat dropping from 3 to 12 and getting the package that you did, great. You killed it, knocked it out of the park. So, no, you didn't get a one and a three to move back. You lost the second trade. you That's not what happened here, is that you got three first-round picks, and then you gave up one of them to go move back up for no reason, for a guy that might have been there at twelve. I
0: do want to say a part of me thinks – i I had two thoughts when they traded back up to get to that spot. I thought either what you said originally – they might consider a quarterback if one of them falls. And the other thing I thought was they might just be doing the same exact thing. If a quarterback falls to there and Denver calls or Carolina calls, you're sitting there and you say, all right. I, me away that, and- was,
1: that was also a thing is that is that now you are in position if you are Miami to go back to Denver or Carolina. Yeah. Like it's it, it's not going to. From there to there, unless it's a bidding war, like to go to six from eight, you might get like two twos. But hey, yeah. it's two twos you didn't have before. Are those two twos worth giving up your 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 one and a full, like a, a a round and a half pick swap this year? Probably not to me. I don't think it is. But you're in a position to move back again if if you wanted to. I think the interesting thing is if you, if you are going wide receiver. At that spot, if you traded up with Devontae in mind and you're trading back to eight, then then Detroit takes Devontae seven. got to be ready for that, too. But you're in a better spot now to trade back than you were at 12 because there are no quarterbacks at 12. But I just something about it is weird to me, to the fact where if you do that, you got to be ready to take a quarterback. And I said this on our episode and a lot of people, a couple of Dolphins fans got mad at me in the comments. They gave up their own pick Yes. next year to do that. They didn't give up San Francisco's. They gave up their own pick. So if you think there's a chance you're bad, if you are convinced that like, which clearly you are right. Clearly you think that Tua is good enough or else you would have stayed at three and taken a quarterback. But if they clearly think Tua is good enough to the fact where they think they're going to be better than San Francisco next year. And quite frankly, I don't, I don't know if it's going to happen. San Francisco was ravaged by injuries. San Francisco has the best coach in the league. San Francisco's going to have a new quarterback. I would rather have Miami's pick. I think there is a higher probability that that Tua sucks. And now, if Tua does suck, and listen, that team has way too much talent. That team is well coached. Yeah. Like they're going to win six games. They're going to be, like, feisty at least. Could, could, yeah, they're going to fight. Like, but could they be picking 10th? Yes totally could they could they go six and 11 and pick 10 totally totally that could totally happen like i think the range of outcomes is is far greater with miami next year than it is with san francisco and you gave up your own pick to go do that so i think if you give up your own pick either you think two is going to be great or you're ready to take a quarterback so that pick is in theory not good next year that you just gave up
0: Now, it's time to peel back the layers. You and I are two of the staunchest Kyle guys on the internet. Kyle. We love Kyle. We really do love Kyle Shanahan, one of the smartest people I've ever heard talk about football. I forget what show he was on, but they just throwing away asked him a throwaway question If you had to do it over again with Johnny Manziel, what would you design the offense around? And he spent a solid 10 and a half minutes explaining how he would have designed a zone run offense entirely based around his mobility and trying to limit his throws to like 10 or less a game. And it was really interesting. And that was when I kind of realized, yeah, this is my guy. I'm going to ride the flag. If he takes Mac Jones at three, I'm going to be really, really questioning my loyalty to Kyle Shanahan is what I'm going to say. I th- I'm just, i just – if you're going to give up all of that to go up there, you've got to go for the guy with the boom potential. I don't think Mac is ever going to be hot garbage, but I think he has a very defined
1: ceiling. I don't what think is, he's – What is – really? And I understand there is a ginormous difference because of contract. Mm-hmm. But really, what is the difference between Mac Jones and Jimmy Garoppolo as football players? Like mm-hmm. really? Especially Mac Jones now. Yeah. Really, what is the difference? It's like Jimmy's not good, but Kyle dragged him to a Super Bowl. Kyle can't drag Mac Jones to a Super Bowl. Mac Jones is not good. It's like I don't think – I think it's tangential difference, but I do think a lot of people, myself included, wrote off that possibility immediately because Kyle does – and I know he attacked a reporter the other day yeah. for saying this exact thing. But historically speaking, Kyle does operate best with with Kirk Cousins. Yeah. He limited mobility, don't get cute, do what I tell you to, you're talented enough, but I can drag you type guy. That's what he did with Jimmy. It's what he did with Kirk Cousins. Mac Jones is that guy. I think of the other two – Trey Lance has a higher potential to be that guy because the the big knock on Fields, I mean, the one read quarterback thing is is over exaggerated. The there are no good Ohio State players, you know, scout the player, not the helmet. The one knock on Fields that I would have is I think he does too much sometimes. I think he's always trying to hit the home run and he trusts himself and his in, in, insane talent too much at times. And if you want to rein that back in, I think it's kind of it's tougher. Like I don't know if Justin Fields is necessarily the guy Kyle's just going to be like, all right, go do this. This is your read. It's going to be open. Just like, go do it. I don't know if he is necessarily going to trust fields the way that Trey is raw. Trey is better arm. Trey is better runner. Like we've never had Kyle with a a real running quarterback, like RG three, I guess that first year, but we didn't see how it developed. It's like be interesting. I'd like to see it. I think – I mean I've said the whole time I think Trey Lance does have the highest ceiling if it's, if it's realized of anybody in this class, including Trevor. I just – and if I would have to pick one person on this earth to get him there, it's Kyle Shanahan. Mm-hmm. And I do think the, the – how adamant they are with saying that Jimmy is still going to be on the roster, and I think it's a very astute point that Jimmy sat the first seven weeks as a 49er to try to learn that offense. And I do not think Kyle is going to want to throw somebody in the fire immediately. Um, I just think that to me, reading the tea leaves, I think it's probably Trey, (laughs) but Kyle does have a, Kyle knows Justin Fields. Kyle has worked with Justin Fields. They have a history. Would that surprise me? No. Is it the safer pick of the three options? Yes. I just, I don't know if that is the more reserved type of guy that Kyle can control himself the way that he might want to, but is he immediately the most talented of the three? Is he going to be the best off the top? Yeah, I think you have to. I don't think he is the most, I don't think he has the most potential, but I think he is very clearly the most talented today of those three.
0: As an evaluator, I assume you had the same thing I did when I went back and watched mac jones play football where it's he's in a perfect pocket every time and one of the most creative college offenses ever throwing to three for future first round picks how hard is it to evaluate talent in an ideal situation to you at least
1: um that's kind of the argument i i keep going back to is that mac jones so the big knock on trey lance is that he is the best fcs player ever okay all right it's a big knock like i understand it right he's playing against FC's players he's playing against competition and the team that he was on in addition to having him had better players than everybody else they around matchup jumping yeah. and and Trey Lance threw a lot of wide open receivers and my argument is that Trey Lance always hit those wide open receivers like it, they can be wide open 50 yards down the field you can't hit him you can't hit him he hit him and i think to to a, a similar extent that's the thing with Mac is that like all right Spags is a crazy person and like does whatever he wants it's like or Sark, not Steve Spagnuolo. I don't know. know, I'm going insane here. Sark is a crazy person. Got really creative this year with perhaps the most talented team of all time and opened things up more than he ever had for Tua, opened things up more than he ever had ever, at Alabama at least, opened everything up. It worked. Devontae Smith is wide open on a lot of those plays. John Mechie is open on a lot of those plays. Matt hit him. Got to be able to hit them, and it's harder to hit them against the SEC than it is in the Missouri Valley Conference. But I just – it's such an ideal situation, and it, this is not – I think the difference between the Mac Jones argument and the Trey Lance argument is that, yes, they both had ideal situations for what they were, but North Dakota State asked more of Trey Lance than any team asked of their quarterback in this class. Trey ran a, an under center pro style offense. Trey did a lot of play action. Trey had the ability to audible at the line. They had him call his own protections. Trey mentally did more as a quarterback than anybody, any of these top tier guys. Trey took snaps under center. is used to being an I form. I think that's a, I probably put too much stock into that, but I think that matters to a sense that most of these guys, I don't, know if Trevor Lawrence has ever taken a snap under center at Clemson like they they ran a spread offense and this is not to say that Trevor Lawrence is going to have to adjust to to playing in like eye personnel it's not going to happen right he's going to be able to but you know it's something yeah Trevor Lawrence didn't call his own protections it's something like I think Trey is advanced mentally to the point where Mac Jones much like Kyle would do to a quarterback who he doesn't completely trust and wants to just run the offense. Mac Jones ran the offense. Better than Tua did, better than any Alabama quarterback, better than any quarterback Sark had. Mac Jones ran the offense. But the offense was run for Mac Jones. Trey had to do the offense in addition to running the offense. And it it worked. So that would be my counter.
0: When it comes to the guys who only have a single year of production, like Lance, like Zach Wilson, like Burrow, like Kyler Murray, how do you, as an evaluator, how how much weight do you put in the limited sample size? Because I know there aren't a ton of guys who stay for four years anymore, really. And not a lot of guys start as true freshmen anymore. So you're only getting at most two or three years of evaluation for some guys. How difficult is it comparing that to what's in the league already? How is an evaluator in a front office supposed to look at a guy who has 25-ish games of college tape and say, all right, I'm going to stake my job on that guy?
1: I think it is now, especially when comparing to the current league, I think it's easier to cut bait with NFL players than it ever has been before. The salary cap is a myth. Contracts don't actually exist. (laughs) Like... It is easier to pull a Josh Rosen type thing than it ever has been before because everybody, especially when you have a new coach, obviously, I think played a lot into that, but it's everybody wants the shiny new toy. Yes. And it's like, I feel like it is easier to obtain the shiny new toy with, with as few consequences to your current roster than it has ever been before. Yes. So I think when it comes down to the one year thing, I think you're betting on your coaching staff which mm-hmm. sometimes is a good bet, sometimes it's not, and you're betting on traits, and you're betting on what you think you saw versus what actually happened. Now, I think there's a balance. I think the truly elite players, or not maybe the truly elite, not necessarily the highest ceiling, but the lowest floor type guys and the guys that you can bet on immediately, like, Pat Sertan is a three-year starter outside cornerback for Alabama. Pat Sertan has more coverage snaps, not just snaps, snaps in coverage than most corners have total snaps. And it's like, okay, that guy was elite from an 18-year-old for Saban at Alabama, was good, and is the most experienced player in this class. I know what I'm getting. I think those guys become even more valuable and he's a junior, but if you have somebody as a senior, even, you know, age, especially for certain positions, like a Devonte Smith old, now breakout age, real thing, like, okay. But Devonte Smith has a lot, like a large sample size of production now at this point on a great team and has outplayed NFL players on that great team. And it's like, okay, if you don't want to draft him because he's old, which is a knock that I had, it's a knock that I had on Burrow. He's a 50-year senior. it took forever to get good. Like, that matters, right? Like, Mm -hmm. But I think the guys with so many snaps and the production, like a Pat Sertan, are just inherently that much more valuable when you're – all right, so maybe the the Pat Sertan to J.C. Horn drop-off is not – as great because JC was the best corner in the country this year. Maybe that's not, you know, as crazy as, as, but the Pat Sertan to Caleb Farley, who now has had two back surgeries, hasn't played in a year, uh, and has one year like P- Pat Sertan has more coverage snaps than Caleb Farley has snaps played. I think it's relevant. If You're taking, if you're considering those two guys in the same stratosphere at the same position in the first round, if you, if you think your decision at, Ten Dallas is between Pat Sertan and it. It's not now because Caleb Farley. I don't even know if he goes in the first round after this next back surgery. But three weeks ago, if your decision is Pat Sertan or Caleb Farley, I don't. I know what I'm getting with one guy. Is the ceiling perhaps lower? Sure, but I know what I'm getting as opposed to the one year wonder. And I think there are so few Pat Sertans that have the sustained production and the sustained snaps that this doesn't come up a lot and people are just betting on the one year wonders because that's all we have. But when you have the Pat Sertan, like I don't know how you're not jumping on that guy.
0: Definitely agree with you there. I've been saying that for a while now because a few people have asked me if he were there at 11 for the giants, would you do that? Even though you have Jackson and Bradbury. And I'd say, yes, absolutely. Cause you don't know what you're going to get into Dory Jackson but I want to circle back around and talk a little bit about Trevor for a second. I was talking about this the other day with, I think my dad, cause he had passingly said something about the long haired quarterback from Clemson. And I was talking to him back and forth. And I said, I really think if you were to run back every draft of the last 15, 20 years, he's in the discussion to go one. in pretty much all of them, the only guys I could make an argument for taking before Trevor, you can make an argument for Luck. I think you can make an argument for Carson Palmer. I think you can make an argument for Chase Young or Nick Bosa. And then it starts to get difficult. I don't know how many guys you could realistically make an argument would be, you would take before Trevor in a hypothetical draft. I'm just, since that first season as a freshman at Clemson, where he dragged Nick Saban's Alabama up and down the field in the national title game, I knew this guy was, we knew this guy was going to be something. We knew it since he was in high school, he was going to be something. Anyone you outside of that group I mentioned you can make an argument for?
1: No.
0: Burrow maybe? Maybe? Eh, no. Burrow's only got the one year of production. It's
1: only, it's only the one year. Burrow necessarily Ma'am? is not the greatest pedigree. It's like...
0: damn uh... That was the one I kind of, but it's only the one and a half years. Of just Trevor's awesome is basically the point here.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's all there is to say. It's like, I just... There's not – there's, like, nothing else to say. It's just, like, we've never seen this before. And does Trevor Lawrence have problems? Yeah. Yeah. Like, there are problems. I think his best year was his freshman year. Yeah. Kind of alarming. He was objectively bad for the first four games of his sophomore year, and then he turned back into Trevor Lawrence. But I do think there was a, a national championship, a freshman year superstar hangover. Um, I think – This year, a thing that I always come back to is that in the last two times we saw him on a national stage, both times were objectively bad. And, um, you know, is it a lights are too bright kind of thing? Thank God he's going to Jacksonville. There are no lights there. Um, But it's just like when you're talking range of outcomes, it's like I don't know. And listen, this could totally come back to bite me. It's like totally fine. But I just
0: What's your I concern? Don't. Like what's when the concern do- ceiling? The concern do-
1: ceiling. The concern ceiling, honestly, is urban ruins him.
0: Okay. Yeah, I definitely see that that staff is atrocious. That staff is
1: awesome. It's like, it's like this is everybody everybody loves to shit on the Jets. I love to shit on the Jets, right? The Jets are a a mind-blowingly better situation than what's currently in Jacksonville right now. Yeah. Like, in addition to being in Jacksonville, you're going with that staff, and it's like, I don't feel great. It's like it's going to be a testament to his talent, I think, to have to overcome that obstacle immediately. And it's like, okay, maybe instead of being – a top 5 guy in 2 years like we've seen so many second year quarterbacks take that jump maybe he only gets to top 12 but you're still getting this I don't know if Trevor Lawrence is ever going to be a guy where you're in the path of the Derek Carr Kirk um who else whoever else you want to put in that tier like Jimmy obviously is not as good I think those two are the best quarterbacks that you always feel in the back of your head we can do better than this I think those two are always – the Kirk and Derek Carr are – they're good. They're, they're very, very good. We can do better, though, and I don't know if Trevor is ever going to be in the – I don't know. Like every year, it's like Vegas, Oakland, whatever you want to call them. Every year, it's like Raiders could take a quarterback. Like if something weird happens, we don't know. Ra- Raiders could take a quarterback. Derek Carr is getting paid a lot of money, but Raiders could take a quarterback. Like – I don't think Trevor Lawrence is ever going to be the Jacksonville could take a quarterback. Like I think Trevor is going to be just good enough, like forever. Like I, I think his, his floor is like like Matt Ryan type just above that bar of we could do better. I don't know if that ever happens, but I I think the ceiling, not that the ceiling is capped, but I think the ceiling could be, Never reached because of mm-hmm. this early situation.
0: Yeah, no, I've definitely said this more than once. That for a young quarterback, the most important thing is the environment they're going into, and if the offense is conducive to success. I mean, you and I personally have seen what throwing an un an inexperienced player into a not friendly offense does to them. And as soon as a young player's confidence is shot, especially a quarterback, it can take forever to come back. And for some guys, it just doesn't come back. I mean. I was extremely, extremely high on Darnold coming out. I thought Darnold was going to be the guy from that draft class. Obviously, that didn't happen. I was never particularly high on Daniel Jones, but going from Shermer's offense, which isn't particularly easy on young quarterbacks, to Jason Garrett's offense, which is even more difficult on young quarterbacks, running what Scott Linehan's offense was in Dallas like three years ago with Dak, that doesn't exactly excite me for Trevor Lawrence's rookie season is what I'll say.
1: It's – Daryl Bevel is not the guy I would have signed up for this. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> not the guy I would have signed up. I
0: think Urban waited too long. I think he waited too long to take the job, and all of the good people you could have gotten for your staff were hired. I also
1: – I think Urban just wanted his guys. That's I think true. that's really what it was. And it's like I don't – the last time last time we talked, I was like this is a terrible idea, yeah. and then it somehow turned out like worse. worse than I ever thought it could be.
0: Yeah, he hired and, Chris Ash.
1: Yeah. That's pretty much it. It's like, all right, your coaching staff is uh Chris Ash, Daryl Bevel, and Brian Schottenheimer. Yeah. And the racist Iowa guy. Yeah. Hell yeah. Let's go. Like, fire me up. I think of winning football. I go to the guy who couldn't coach at Rutgers and Brian Schottenheimer, baby. Let's go. It's like, yeah, fire me up.
0: Uh, uh, uh. God, I think he lasts less than three seasons. I don't think it goes well. I, I yes. know they no, have I all just, of, I can't
1: imagine. They have so cool. but much. But here's the thing. Okay. Here's the thing. It's not going to go well, but somebody's still going to want to coach Trevor Lawrence in three yeah. years. Somebody's still going to want to do it. All
0: right. These are I'd, two questions. Oh, go ahead.
1: That's go ahead. It? No, it's just it. Wow. <laughs> somebody is still going to want to coach Trevor Lawrence in three years. None of this matters. There are
0: two questions I didn't put on the rundown I want to touch on before we actually start putting people on teams. Number one. Who is the worst NFL quarterback you could put in college right now and they could still win the Heisman? Yeah, so we were, th- we were talking about this. Because uh, someone said uh, Peterman. If you threw Peterman on, like, Peterman on Ole Miss, do you think he could win the Heisman?
1: I think Ole Miss is definitely an interesting because at least you'd have Lane. But... Yeah, he'd throw for 6,000 yards in 12 games. Exactly. Um, who Just is a- 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 the worst? That. 40-year-old Matt Schaub? No, so like this is the thing. It's like, who is the worst quarterback? I'm thinking of like, so the Jets drafted James Morgan in the fourth round last year. (laughs) James Morgan was not good in college. I don't think I could put James Morgan on any SEC team and he would win the Heisman. I mean, he sucked at FIU. Yeah. So I think there is a very clear line. Yes. And Peterman was, Peterman was objectively good his last year at Pitt. Like, he was a good player. So I don't know. Like, all right, so let's go back. Like you throw AJ McCarron back in college. Does AJ McCarron win the Heisman, I think. Like maybe, I think he's got a shot. These are gonna yeah. be really good. These are gonna be really good.
0: Yeah, if you put him in the right offense, I mean, we he, that was the Alabama offense with training wheels when AJ McCarron ran, where it was a lot of that heavy eye. If stuff. Ma-
1: replace AJ McCarron, even college AJ McCarron, but replace AJ McCarron with Mac, like Mac Jones this year. Swap places. How much of a difference is there really?
0: Oh, I think Mac is a little bit more athletic. I think Mac can I move defen- around. Oh,
1: I mean, AJ McCarron is, is a, a statue. Yeah. But AJ McCarron could make those throws. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm
0: thinking uh, if you put Sam Darnold back into a friend, I, his confidence is kind of shot, so it's kind of hard to judge.
1: Sam. No, I think Sam. I think Sam would be fine. The the thing with Sam, and it, it was even a thing at USC. You're gonna have to deal with turnovers. Yeah. And it was a thing at USC, and they dealt with it. It's just a matter of like, you got to be ready for that if you're throwing Sam Darnold. Like, it's kind of like Sam Darnold, speaking of Mississippi, Matt Corral is like, all right, he's going to throw five touchdowns, but there's going to be three picks attached to him. And it's like, something, you got to deal with it because he's good enough. Yeah. And you can't do that much better. Matt Corral is a great player. He just. He's just a gun, like gunslinger to a T. Like he literally threw a game in which he had five, five touchdowns and six interceptions. Like that's how this works, and you're you just rolling the dice. And I think for Lane, perfect, perfect guy to just roll the dice with if you're talking about dice rolling. But I don't know, like just at some level, like if you're taking any of these bad – Bad quarterbacks. If you're taking Sam, if you're taking Daniel Jones, like these guys are going in turn the ball over. Is that insurmountable in college? Totally not because Matt Corral won eight games this year. Yeah.
0: The other I question in this category of hypotheticals who is someone you were just painfully wrong about in recent history? For me, my obvious one is Josh Rosen. I, I really thought Josh Rosen was going to be the guy. I know you're a Josh Rosen guy too. So aside from Josh Rosen, who is someone you were really confident was going to be good in the NFL. That just didn't hit.
1: Um, I actually, I mean, I think my obvious answer is OJ Howard, Um, especially during that playoff run. I was like, I was all in, all in. And I think a lot of it is that it just never meshed early with, with the prior coaching staff. And then I thought he was primed for a big year this year and mm-hmm. then gets hurt immediately. Gronk comes in. Gronk has more left in the tank than I think anybody ever expected. Um, But that's still a guy that if OJ Howard hits the open market, somebody's going to pay and yeah. somebody's going to bet on. But I think, like, I had OJ Howard as, like, at, at one point in my very early – you know, just trying to figure out what college players were good before I wanted to do this as like a quote unquote career. Like I had OJ Howard as like the best player in that draft. Like I thought OJ Howard was the best player in that draft. Like I was just like this guy, I thought OJ Howard was Kyle Pitts essentially. And like, he's not, I still believe in OJ Howard, but if you want to just talk the weight of miss, having him ranked as like a I think I actually literally ended up with O.J. Howard as like my number one guy in that draft, and it's like he's not bad, but he's no. not half, even halfway as good as I ever expected him to be.
0: That's the magic of this time of year is you're just projecting what someone did at college into an entirely different situation, and I know, I mean, the, the professionals aren't good at this either. The hit rate by position is very, very, very ranging. I mean. I feel I'm pretty sure from what I saw when I did something a couple of weeks ago. Offensive linemen have the highest hit rate in terms of just games played because if you draft a guy in the first couple of rounds, those offensive if linemen. if you draft a for- guy in
1: the first couple of rounds, they're they're playing for three years. Yes, at least unless they're years. so bad, unless they're so bad. Like if you draft, like Isaiah Wilson, obviously is never playing a game in the NFL, but like especially with the offensive line, you can move them throughout the line until you find a spot where you can either hide them or that they're good enough. You can move a tackle to guard. You can move a center to guard if you come up with a better, like, you can hide people at right guard. Yeah, Like, and just, they're going to get snaps based off of that.
0: Okay, it is time for what I have called the, the fun mock draft. This is not me trying to Be smart. This is not me trying to be creative. This is very simply what is the most fun landing spot for each of these guys because I think we get a little bit caught up in the mock drafts because these are just a tool. They're there to put players in landing spots to give you an idea of where people could go. No one is batting a thousand on these. No one is batting 600 on these. These are very much the whole point of these is discussion, engagement, and to get people excited for the draft because the draft is very exciting. So, very simply, Trevor, Trevor, one, Zach Wilson, two. Yep. I have Trey Lance to the the
1: 49ers. And then, yep. I mean, I I agree with all three of those. I think those are the three likeliest outcomes. Okay.
0: Four. I have Justin Fields to the Falcons for a few reasons, for fun reasons. Number one, make the Georgia fans relive the fact they could have had that for the last three years, instead of uh, that smorgasbord of quarterbacks they had last year. And Jake from the two years prior, I really do think if they have anything resembling what Fields was at Ohio State, Georgia probably wins a national title at some point in those in those two years. Would, would you say that's a reasonable – the gap between a good Fields and a meh Fromm is the difference between being the second-best team in the SEC and a type national title?
1: Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, Jake Fromm is, is bad. <laughs> um, I, I mean, and Jake Fromm was bad. In knowledge. I say that as I'm wearing a Georgia hat that my girlfriend got me. Um, So that's, like, objectively hilarious that I'm now talking about the glories of Georgia football. But, like, Jake Frum sucked. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the difference. like whatever hypothetical world we live in retroactively, I would bet a lot of money on one Georgia national title over the last three years. 100%. Like 100% not even thinking about it. I would bet – that they get across the line, despite Kirby, who I hate. Yeah.
0: Uh, noted Kirby hater. So, yeah, Fields for – I didn't think Jamar Chase to Cincinnati was actually going to happen when I put down in the fun column because I just wanted to see Burrow with Jamar Chase again. But it really does seem like this is going to
1: happen now, stupidly. I think it's – I think it is a detriment to Joe. I think Joe Burrow is screwing himself, and yeah. he's going to have himself to, 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 to thank for it, Yeah. Um, I... which is fine. Like, listen <laughs> – I would want to play with Jamar Chase, too, if I was Jim <laughs> But when you're talking about when, – when your banner offseason acquisition is, we signed Riley Reef, so now we don't have to draft Penny Sewell. It's like – not team management. Really? Great. And And you already have – like I, I was talking to Max the other day. It's like realistically, T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd is your top two. Where, did, where does that – it's got to be like top half. Just the top good. twos. Like, that's great. And then, like, i got to throw Jamar Chase in there when you don't have an offensive line. Just got to do it. There you go. That's drafting That's drafting for a quote-unquote value when there's a similar, if not more valuable player in a real position of need. There it is.
0: I didn't know who to give Miami. I said Devontae Smith. That's,
1: that's kind of I think that is fun. the most likely option. That's, I think that is, that's
0: That's that fun. Let Tua have his friend. I, I still think Jay I I think Jalen Waddle still probably ends up being better in the NFL. I don't know how confident I am in that take, but I'm pretty sure Waddle ends up being better in the NFL. I think, like I've spoken with you a number of times, I do think Smith will have a harder time against more physical corners in the NFL. I think teams that run a lot of press are going to have – he's going to have a harder time in the NFL getting open. I really do think he's going to have a harder time.
1: Especially off the top. And, again, is this a guy that you can – scheme touches early to get his confidence up and like try to 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 work him open totally totally able to do that totally run him on run picks for him run rubs for him just get him into space so he doesn't have to create it himself possible i bet somebody's gonna do it yeah it's just do you want (laughs) it's just it's it's so funny it's like do you want To draft a guy at six overall, that you have to immediately go, you can't get open for yourself, so we have to scheme you touches. I feel like that's kind of weird. Yeah. Just feel like it's weird.
0: It's difficult to do that. Uh, We saw how the Tavon Austin experiment went on a couple of different stops in the NFL, unfortunately. I think Tavon Austin in 2020, like the Anthony Thomas in 2020, would be a very different football player at the NFL level.
1: No, I mean, that's totally it. And we're going to see it with, with, However creative people get with Rondale and Kadarius. It's like oh, that's, that's what would happen.
0: I cannot wait. I have no idea what's fun for the Lions because the Lions aren't a fun team and they need a million things.
1: Um, I, I, there's like no real answer for this. Because they need there's a
0: million like, things.
1: They, they that have... like, they're just – they're not – like you want to talk about devoid of talent.
0: Yeah, Detroit's one of the least talented teams we've ever had in the NFL, ever. Like,
1: again, like I said smart money last year would have been on, was on my money was on Carolina. Like everybody said Jacksonville was going to get the first pick. I was like, I think Carolina's going to be really, really bad. And then they were, they started hot and then like literally the entire roster fell off a cliff and they were yeah. awful. I think like, I think the simple, I think Detroit is the Jacksonville of next year. Yeah, I think they have to be because like whoever you draft at seven is not
0: making a difference. Like
1: you could you could draft Jalen Waddle all you want. Like okay, congrats, Jerry Goff and Jalen Waddle. Like I would just in this hypothetical take Sewell and like yeah. run that right. Yeah, it's That's like the... I don't know why not.
0: Sam Howell is going to need a left tackle next year, so you might as well do it.
1: Exactly, like you're going to be. You're going to be drafting a quarterback next year, no matter what. Whether you're first or, or like you're going to be in the top five, somebody's going to be there. You might have to move up a couple picks to do it, but you're in quarterback discussion next year, so prep for it would be my take.
0: Carolina, I said Sertan, but I know they used all of their draft picks on defense last year, but their defense was still horrendous.
1: Uh, I think about that literally once a day is that Carolina went seven for seven on defensive players. And, and it was still like, awful. And the guy they picked in the second round who was a D2 player was the best one. Um, I, just, I think it's funny. Yeah. I, I find that very funny. Um, I was not a Derek Brown guy. If I, if I had to take a defensive tackle from last year, I was bullish on Kinlaw who mm. is great. Yeah. Um, I do think Derek Brown got better as, as the year went on. Um. I don't know in, in this, like I, I really do think, and I think Matt rule as much as I would have loved him to coach the Jets three years ago. And I, I do think Matt rule is a great coach. And I think he is a proverbial leader of men, whatever you want to call him. I think he's going to take Mac. I really do. I could see it if he's there. Yeah. Because the senior ball he coached him. He was there with them all week. I do really think he's going to take Mac. And I, I, think- I do. I do think he's fed up with Teddy Bridgewater.
0: I also think they kind of, the Deshaun Watson situation threw them out because I really felt like they were going to be the team to ridiculously overpay and give away half their team to get Deshaun Watson and start from scratch, basically. And until that situation is resolved one way or another, no one is going to touch him. No one is going to trade for him. So Carolina definitely going to, I really think if it's not, if it's not Mac Jones, I don't know what they do because they could do anything. They need offensive linemen. They need a skill position guy. They need a quarterback, obviously. They need corners. They need linebackers. They need a lot of stuff. Carolina is a very – they have a lot of names. They have a lot of recognizable players.
1: They have have good good weapons. Like like, like DJ Moore, Moore. I think. DJ Moore is one of the most underrated players in the league to me. You have McCaffrey, which I overpay, but like whatever he exists, right? Yeah. It's like you have talent. You have Jeremy Chin, who's a very good player. Oh, I love like him. he's very fun to watch. It's just I don't know. There's not a lot of talent at, at aside from DJ Moore, there's not a lot of talent at impact positions. Yeah. And you take Jeremy Chin, who hit, and that was a risk in the in yeah. the third round, like taking a D two put, but Yitor Grosmatos is terrible. Derek Brown, I don't think, showed you what you wanted from, you know. After the Quinn at Ed Oliver drafts, like I don't think you got your impact defensive tackle on day one. And he did get better throughout the season. Um, and I have no doubt that Derek Brown is going to be a, like a long-term, very good football player. I don't ever know if he gets to elite status, but Derek Brown is going to be a very good football player for a long time. But okay. You drafted <laughs> just goes back to drafting for value. He might've yeah. been the best player on your, but you drafted a defensive tackle. who's just going to be very good. Eighth overall. It's part of the problem that I still have with the Quinn and Williams pick. Everybody yeah. loves Quinn and, and, like, great. Got a lot better this year, right? Yeah. And, and and was, was, is coming around. And to a lesser extent, it's the Leonard Williams thing who yeah. got a lot better this year. And it's like, all right, cool. Leonard Williams, after not having a sack for the last two years, finally just got 12 in, in a season. Like, great. Cool. Awesome. Sick. That guy was billed as the best player in that draft and was drafted sixth overall. He has one double-digit sack season. He literally went two years without getting a sack. Seems bad. Kind of does. You could you could be as good against the rod as you want. It's 2021. If you can't rush the passer for anything worth a damn, I don't care.
0: See, in my hypotheticals here, I have Mac Jones going nine to Denver because I really I, feel I, like Denver I is, also
1: agree with that. Like Denver I, is
0: itching to take another quarterback.
1: Denver is itching to move on. I think that's a very poorly kept secret. Yeah. Uh, I think it's very obvious. I just, I, quite frankly, I don't think they're going to be in a position to at night. I think yeah. all of them are going to be gone. I, yeah.
0: That, and then if not that you're, that's a talented roster. but There's good. That's, the, pro- that's the, the problem.
1: It's like Sutton's back. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. He's great. Uh, Jerry's got to learn how to catch, but Jerry <laughs> getting open was not a problem. Uh, Tim Patrick's a hell of a player. Noah Fant is very good. Um, running backs don't matter, but Melvin Gordon can still put his head down and run Uh, Bradley Chubb coming back from injury. Justin Simmons just resigned. That's a team with a lot of talent and like, that's a team them. And to a lesser extent now Washington, because Washington made the playoffs. And I do think Fitzpatrick, although volatile is good enough to push them over. Like Washington might have a top five roster. They just don't have a real quarterback. And I think Fitz is going to be good enough to just like, will them into a spot here. You can make the case that Denver has a top ten roster, and then a, like a bottom four quarterback. It's like yeah. doesn't match up. If you take Mac Jones and he can give you, I'm not even asking for average. If Mac Jones can get you number twenty five compared yeah. to Drew Lock at number thirty, you're cooking with gas. In yeah. Denver.
0: yeah. The training wheels offense is possible. It it it's not easy to do. You have to have the right coordinator to do it. I don't know if Pat Shermer's offense can do that. Uh, He did it with Kirk Cousins for two years in a row, and the Giants hired him off of that, but young quarterbacks in that offense haven't had the greatest hit rate is what I'll say. No. Going down, this is my, like, nightmare of nightmare scenarios is the Cowboys end up with Kyle Pitts. Like, the Giants haven't been able to stop a Cowboys tight end when it was an unathletic white guy who looked like a plumber. If it's Kyle Pitts, I don't think the Giants will beat the Cowboys in Kyle Pitts' entire career. I, this does not make sense in the slightest bit positional value wise, but if you could get no, pits at
1: ten, clearly, clearly nothing to them matters anymore. Yes. And and listen, I agreed with it last year, had to do it, and I would agree with it this year, have to do it. I think Philly's dream plan is pits gets to twelve. Yeah, shouldn't happen. Um, I think. I really think if Atlanta picks fourth, I think I think you have to take him. Yeah. I, I just – I think that's the logical answer. And, yeah, there is value. Like if you wanted to take Chase, I don't think it's a bad idea. Like there is value. Calvin Ridley needs an extension. He's going right. to be asking for a lot of money. Julio is old. Like there is value to having a third elite wide receiver who next year is going to be your two for either one of those two guys. There is a lot of value in that. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But if you take pits on the rookie contract, maybe you can pay Ridley, and you keep all three of them. And Matt Ryan's got two years left, and I am not a Matt Ryan guy. I've never been a Matt Ryan guy, but holy shit, those three can do whatever they want.
0: Yeah. That Arthur Smith offense, it, it works is what I'll say. Philly, I gave Waddle. That's very boring. but That, I think,
1: receiver. is the realistic dream scenario. They need is a if receiver. He, if he gets there, I think you have to I, – I think that is what they're banking on. I think if they drew it up, They want Kyle Pitts. I think they are banking on either Jalen Waddell or J.C. Horn if they want to go defense. They are
0: a blank slate, basically. That roster is awful. That roster is horrendous.
1: The one thing, if they want Jalen Waddell and they think that Jalen Waddell is just a speed nine guy, you do already have Jalen Rager, which is why, in my head, I think the J.C. Horn landing spot I don't think the J.C. Horn ceiling is is Philly because I think the J.C. Horn ceiling is is Dallas or yeah. even earlier, but I think the J.C. Horn. If I had to put my money on, so J.C. Horn right now is like plus three hundred to be the first cornerback taken. I will mm-hmm. be betting that because I've been adamant about that for because teams tend to overvalue these man press corners. Not that I think he's capable of being overvalued. I would love the dude, but. I think if I was putting money on who Philly's pick is, I think I'd get a decent money, decent odds on on JC Horn, and I think that would be the smart pick, especially mm-hmm. if Sirianni thinks Waddle is of the same mold as Rager. I hated Jalen Rager. I'm not happy with Jalen Rager. They shouldn't have done it, obviously. Yeah. And taking a, a, and the next pick being the best rookie wide receiver of all time is even worse. But I just I don't know, man. Like it's it's something. They have more – somehow have more offensive talent than they have defensive talent. And And if you can get a premier position like cornerback and have that crossed off, I, I think that's where they might go.
0: This next one is purely for Madden purposes because I think if the Chargers got this guy, it would be so much fun to play with them. Mika Parsons. Mika Parsons and Derwin James in the same defense. I know they yeah. took Patrick Queen last year. They already have a linebacker who's... Or uh, oh, Kenneth Murray. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm mixing up my late first-round ter- linebackers. Terrible first-round yeah. linebackers. Yeah, yeah. yeah
1: uh, listen, I, I think Parsons that would be... Parsons can go
0: anywhere. That's the weird thing about him. He could go as high as five, and it wouldn't shock me. Or he could fall as low as, like, 14-15, and it wouldn't shock me.
1: I think that i'm gonna i'm gonna i i don't know obviously i have no no knowledge of the character issues i think the character issues have been talked about a lot Mm -hmm. and it's not something that i necessarily know about and i think teams are going to be digging into it for sure um much like isaiah simmons last year i Mm -hmm. felt Not character-wise, obviously, Isaiah Simmons' standout guy. I think if there has to be one blue-chip player to fall – and I didn't have Isaiah Simmons necessarily ranked as a blue-chip player because I thought if you were were ranking him as a linebacker, he was not very good. But if there has to be one blue-chip player to fall, combining the positional value of a middle linebacker, which is like whatever. At this point, yeah. And whatever concerns people might have about him, I think Michael Parsons is the most is the best player most likely to fall. Definitely. I think I, I and and I don't think the Chargers would do it, especially here because Slater's still on the board and yeah. they just they're desperate. They're so desperate. But like could Parsons get to Belichick? Yeah.
0: I was thinking about that
1: one like, too. Like I think that's totally fair. And if Belichick felt good enough with whatever character concerns, you got to take him. Like, he, and and Belichick would make him into more of a monster than he already is. But I think Parsons has a pretty high chance. To me, it's like if you are spending a top ten pick on Micah Parsons, get on the horn and try to trade back to to to. Before Washington, probably, because I think Washington is pretty much going to take a linebacker. And it's whether or about they want Cormoa or Zayvon Collins. Mm-hmm. To me, I think Zavin Collins is, is the better player because Coromoa, I don't know what position he's going to play. I love Zavin Collins. If you're taking the the value of Micah Parsons at 10, hypothetically, because Dallas isn't taking it, but hypothetically Micah Parsons at 10 or Zavon Collins at 20, I think I, it's not even close to me. And I, th- I think that is a testament to how good Zayvon Collins is, and I think that is a testament to the positional value of middle linebackers.
0: We're never going to see Luke Eakley again, folks. That pains my soul to see it, but it no. pains my soul to say that. We're never going to see that type of Mike linebacker again,
1: really. No. Uh, no, Nope. You're going to see – and the thing is with both of those guys, actually, I think are are very – Collins and Parsons, that is, are very similar to the point where they're both. Penn State used him as an as a glorified edge. Yes, he just rushed the passer, and he did it from the second level. He did it from linebacker, but they put him on the edge enough, and he got there. Mm-hmm. Like he he got home and rushed the passer. Zayvon Collins was used in coverage. Zayvon Collins was used as an edge. Zayvon Collins was used as a traditional linebacker. Zaven collins like great pass rusher also like Micah parsons but i've seen like zavin collins is is 260 pounds he's a defensive end playing linebacker and in addition to rushing the passer almost as good as Micah parsons not as good but almost as good had four interceptions this year is an athlete he had two pick sixes when he gets the ball in his hands he knows what to do with it very aware like yeah, and, and then we go back to competition. This was at Tulsa, right? Yeah. So, you know, not the Big Ten, but I think those guys are way more comfortable than people would think. And I think one guy is going to go 10 picks higher. And I don't, I don't get it. I don't he get it. He went to especially, Penn State. That's
0: why. Yeah. He, he yeah. had a national profile. He was a five star recruit, he was the headlining recruit in Penn State's best recruiting class in like 20 years he played in a lot of big games. He's very easy to notice. It's the Devin White phenomena. You see a linebacker flying around the field getting the ball, even if he's not doing it particularly well, people notice him. I I know Devin White's PFF grade had a lot of people confused, but it, that's the thing. Linebackers uh, are ever, easy to
1: everybody see. everybody loves Devin White. That's that's the, there Devin White is there is no player that is a Bigger difference between conventional wisdom and analysts than Devin White. He's the case study. And this was – when we were down at the Super Bowl, we talked to Adam Schein, who has an All-Pro vote. And he said that Devin White was going to be the X Factor in the Super Bowl, and Devin White is this great player. And he voted for Devin White as first-team All-Pro, and I literally gasped on air. I I audibly gasped during the interview, because I could never fathom, like this guy is is a is a decent pass rusher. He can't tackle, and he certainly can't cover anybody. Mm -hmm. And it's like all of this you can see analytically, but on the field, he's in the right place at the right time to make a big sack. And or and or get an interception and everybody's just like Devin White all over the place. Meanwhile, it's like, okay, so show me the other like 60 snaps yeah. and like what's happening there. So I, I think Devin White is I think Micah Parsons has Devin White potential and that yes. he's very clearly a great football player and very clearly was great in college. But there is going to be some sort of conventional wisdom versus math on yes. Micah Parsons. And I think th- the point of that is all coverage. I think yeah. we're, in, we're it's in 2021. I think Jabril Cox is the best coverage linebacker in this class, and Jabril Cox is going to be a top 50 pick just because he is so much better than covering people than anybody else. And that's that's going to be it. And, and Jabril Cox might never be as might is certainly not going to be picked in the same stratosphere as Micah Parsons. But if we get in three years where Jabril Cox is the best coverage linebacker in the NFL and Micah Parsons is Devin White, you're gonna have arguments of like, I'll go take that guy who can run with Kyle Pitts forty down forty yards downfield than like highlight dude over there. Yeah. And the difference is gonna be forty picks.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no. That's one of the things that that's really kind of uh, – that's opened my eyes is trying to match up the crunching the tape with the coverage grades because coverage grades are very subjective, and if you don't know what goes into calculating them, you have to figure them out. I'm going to try and move a little bit quicker through these because my handwriting is garbage. I didn't know what to give the Vikings. I gave them an interior defensive lineman or an offensive tackle, depending on what I you – I think
1: both of those are very good options. Neither of them are fun – um, but that's you need them you just you need them that's as simple as it is neither are good neither are fun neither are going to get people excited but i know a lot of vikings fans strangely want a another wide receiver which if you wanted to throw rashad bateman and keep the hometown boy there like you could i think it would be a bad idea yeah but you could, especially like, oh my God! All right, so Slater somehow gets past the Chargers, and then the you Vikings are going to gonna take Slater him. It's like, what are do you doing? You got to
0: take Slater. You got to. If Slater get, if Slater gets past the Giants, I would be shocked. I feel like the Giants, even if they're going to make him play right tackle or Andrew Thomas play right tackle, I feel like. I mean, he I, I
1: hate, I hate to say it. I think, I think, I think the Giants are
0: going to take I, like one of the Miami pass rushers and. Give I was going to say, track. I think
1: the Giants. I think the Giants are the Greg Russo sealant. That kills me. Because I mean, I know it would be it would be so it would be it, it so egregiously bad. But I think that's that's the ceiling. Like Gettleman is crazy enough to do it.
0: He's a big guy. We need big guys. We got to stop the run. That's what wins football games in 2021. New England, I put down for a corner, whichever corner you want to give them. That's here. They are going to get rid of Gilmore. It's a matter of when. Assuming they don't go get a quarterback. Assuming Mac isn't there. There's no other quarterbacks worth taking here. Or you could give them an edge. I, New England needs a lot of stuff. That roster is pretty devoid of talent. I know they've done some spending. They definitely need edge rushers. They could use a corner. You don't know how New much. New England longer.
1: also like they're also right, weird. Cool. You're going to all- be running twelve. You're going to be running twelve all year with with thirty million dollars committed to tight ends. Like okay, cool. And then two third round picks last year on tight ends. Great, awesome, great. Yeah. We're, go- we're going back to nineteen eighty. Um, I love those two. I love those two as players. Oh yeah, I love Jonu, and
0: I love—I've always been a Hunter Henry.
1: Guy, I always. I really do love those two players. I love Kendrick Bourne. Yeah, I, I thought Aguilar was very good this year. Yes, yeah. still need pass catchers, dude. Like I, I'm trying still, to still, still, I don't see a top. I don't see an X wide receiver in any of that. I think Bourne is like a, a slot guy. I, if Aguilar is your X, like, uh. Yeah. And if you're running 12, does it matter? We'll find out. But <laughs> I don't know. I still, I still, like, if Waddle falls at 15, I think they're hard oh, pressed yeah. to pass. Like, oh, yeah. I think they're hard pressed to pass.
0: Arizona, another team that.
1: I uh, think- if Arizona doesn't draft JC Horn, I'm going to do some regrettable things. Um, <laughs> that's my take.
0: Okay. They definitely need to replace Pat Keelock. Pe- Mike Zimmer is going to try and uh, give him the fountain of youth that quarter again. We're going to see how that goes, but Arizona's like, I can't say Arizona's roster is bad, but it's not good. It it has names, but the defense is kind of meh. I like Buda Baker. I, I don't hate J.J. Watt. They paid him way too much. I don't hate Arizona, but it's kind of meh. They're at best the third best team in that division. At worst, the fourth best team in that division.
1: Uh, yeah, which is tough. I mean, yeah. listen, I, again, I think JC Horn is just such an easy pick. Yeah, and it if makes he's there, so much sense. If he's there, you got to do it. My thing is, I don't know if he's there, which that's, is the whole yeah. hilarious part.
0: So, what Clemson or Ohio State player is Vegas taking with their pick? Because that's all they seem to do with their first round picks.
1: Uh, yeah. So we're trying to think. Um, I, I don't.
0: I, I gave them a Wusu, Kamora as that's Yeah,
1: like, I, they need I also. Edge. I think this is another. I think this is another great Miami. spot. Yeah. Oh, I, think yeah. This is, I think this is another great spot. Like, look, those two were crazy enough to do it. Uh, it's not going to be good. Those two were crazy enough to do it. Yeah. I, a, I think I think listen I mean I talked about him a little bit before I think Jalen Phillips is by far the best player in this class I think this is like a really really great Jalen like Jalen Phillips and Yannick Ngakwe is going to be yeah. like, would be legitimately good for a team that does not have defensive talent and a team that has Cleveland Farrell has come around at least but like Jonathan Abram is the worst safety in football and they spent he's, the first round pick he's on the him the
0: Devin White of safeties he's just flying yeah. around out there he's not doing yeah. anything else he's just running.
1: Yeah, like legitimately a bottom five safety in football. They spent the first round pick on him. Like I think getting another guy on that edge would be really good. But I don't hate – I don't hate the Owusu fit, especially if you're ready to acknowledge that, hey, maybe Jonathan Abrams sucks. Yeah. And you're playing him at safety, especially then.
0: Yeah. I gave Miami pay. They needed edge rusher. They definitely need an edge rusher. I could see a world in which he's sitting there, depending on who gets to where. But I th- Miami's roster is really interesting because at this point, I feel like if they had a good quarterback, we'd be talking about them as legitimate threats to win the AFC East. But because they have two, uh, it's very much a, we're a wild card team. And what do you want to put around them at this point? You want to give them an edge rusher. You want to give them another a quarter. I think this is
1: where Brian Flores takes a toy. I think Coromoa is is a is a good oh, pick. I could. See I that. think, I think he would be able to get really creative. I think Zaven Collins, like, yeah. there are Brian Flores is such a good coach that you could drop any defensive player here, and I'd be like, cool, awesome. I think Quiddy Pay totally fits that mold as well. I think oh. there is less creativity with Quiddy Pay as I think he's just, it's not even, he's not a 3 4 guy. He's just, he's a 4 3 hand in the ground defensive end. Like, that's just what he is. There's no, oh, let's drop Quiddy Pay in the coverage. Like, there's no. none of that. It's you like, that. I think there is less creativity there than even where there might be with Rousseau if you wanted to move him inside where I think he'd be better. Versatility, move him up and down the line, there's potential for that because of his size. I think Quiddy Pay is probably the least creative option, but that does not mean he's the worst by any means.
0: Washington, I gave Rashad Bateman. I love Rashad Bateman. I want to see him in a fun offense. He's one of my favorite college players of recent memory. Uh, I want to see him in an offense where he's going to have an important role. Opposite Terry McLaurin, he's going to have an important role. I know that offense was pretty starved of creativity during the season last year. Yeah, and it's
1: easy to win... Or, or get snaps over, you know, Stephen Sims, who yeah. I like, like, like I love Logan Thomas. Like yeah. I, I love Logan Thomas. And I think Logan Thomas is a, is a phenomenal tight end. If Logan Thomas is your second best receiver, you like problems. he was this year, don't love it.
0: Uh, it didn't help. The amount of design passing plays they had for J.D. McKissick is what I'll say. There was that one game. Helped me
1: in a lot of fantasy leagues. Helped me in a lot of fantasy leagues, though.
0: He had like 20 fantasy points one week with only like 20 yards of actual receiving because he had so many receptions. I think that was the week they played Detroit, and Detroit ended up winning at the end. Mm -hmm. Chicago, I have no idea what to give them because they're such an abject hole where they're going to need pretty much everything that isn't a pass rusher or a safety you could give them a tackle, you could give them a receiver, you could you think they're crazy enough to overreach for a quarterback here? I I mean, I I know I've had a few people ask me is there any quarterback who could go in the 20s to, as a project? Cause, no, like
1: no. like realistically there's no. not. I think Davis Mills is your next best option, but I would expect Davis Mills to go closer to 50 than anywhere yeah. else. Yeah. Um, which Chicago is like another team relatively devoid of talent. Yeah. But hey, I don't Andy Dalton guys. We're gonna be fine. Andy Dalton. Red Rocket.
0: Uh I have Indy taking one of our guys. This is probably way too high for him, but I want to see Elijah Moore in a fun offense.
1: I think I think I mean it's Ballard's MO, so this isn't a hot take. I think Indy trades back. Yeah. Like does do whatever they can do. Yeah. To 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 trade back. Um Again, it's hard, especially at the bottom of the first round, to to trade up into or up in the first round and not take a quarterback. Um, So Value-wise,
0: yeah. just There's no value in it. That's the real problem.
1: Yeah. It's like, I don't know, but I do think somebody will want to move up for somebody who is falling at that point, and I think uh, that Indianapolis will not be picking 21st. I'd be surprised
0: really wonder how Carson Wentz is going to do I'm not going to I'm not going to dull you with that but in terms of guys we could see in the 20s because I'm rolling through here I have who do you think the Jets are looking at in that late in that in the low 20s I it's um, offensive I th- line right
1: yeah I think Vera Tucker is yeah I've seen dream him. I don't think Vera Tucker gets there so then if you're picking actually 23rd which again I don't think there's going to be a lot of trade back opportunities um, I think it's most likely going to be a corner. Um, I think I would assume – I think Greg Newsom, if not J.C. Horn, I think Greg Newsom is a very good fit. I do think Caleb Farley is a very good fit. It's a medical back. thing at that yeah. point. Um, I I don't know if Caleb Farley gets 23. I still think somebody might do it, but I don't know if I would. But I do think – I think – Greg Newsom is is a very obvious fit it's something that I've seen pop up more and more and more I have Greg Newsom as a top 40 guy so I, it's like the second tier of quarterbacks so you have the top th- you have the top two clearly to me Farley is third with a huge question mark next to him and that's the way it's been for me the entire year and then like four through 10 it's like you could take Either of the Georgia guys, you could take uh, uh Asante Samuel, you mm. could take um uh Newsom, you could take Ify Malafawu from Syracuse. Um like if you took Ify Malafanu at twenty-three, I think it's a bit of an overpick, but like is it? I don't know. Like that next tier that next tier you could take like seven different guys between twenty and fifty in any order and i'd be like okay sure like i'm not i'm not fighting it because all of them i have relatively in that same tier so i think if not vera tucker if not jalen phillips falling i think edge is edge is a i think edge is a is a need and something they'll look at if a quiddie pay or something there but i think um I think it's I, I, I think it's probably gonna be a corner. If I had to bet right now, if Vera Tucker and JC Horn were off the board and and Jalen were off the board, I think Greg Newsom might be the most likely pick.
0: Okay, okay, the northwestern corner. I I could see that. I can see that. So instead of going on and on here, the for the last few things I wanted to talk to you, I'm just gonna throw guys at you. What is the most fun landing spot for them? All right.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What's the be- the most fun landing spot we could throw Jalen Phillips in? Because I know he's a passion project of yours. What is um, the most fun landing spot we could put him on?
1: That's the thing. It's like uh, I don't know because I'd like to see him go as high as possible. Mm-hmm. Um. So if you if you're talking really like just pure fun, like okay, well, let's let Flores like rip or let Sala rip. Like those were the those are the two where I'd be like please god or even belichick like i don't even think edge is necessarily a huge like i don't know what they're going to do with matt judon but they paid matt judon a lot of money and they create belichick creates pressure from all levels like however he wants so i don't know if a first round edge is necessarily in the cards but if i had to pick like i'd want him with miami or or the jets but i think he is he is better than both of those spots Mm -hmm. so i i would like if he falls to twenty three, like oh my god, like oh my god, that's it. Yeah, that would be very very fun. Where's our boy
0: Elijah Moore going? If you could put him anywhere, I,
1: I one of my friends asked me. And I think I, said I think Indy would be fun. Yeah, I think Indy would be really fun. Um, I, I think New Green Orleans. Bay. I said Green, Green Bay, New Orleans, me. the bottom there. Yeah, both needy. I think. I think. Yeah. No. I like. I like both of those. Are
0: we gonna will Kadarius to the Chiefs into existence? I, I mean,
1: I think that's what we all need. Like that's that's what the Chief, the Chiefs don't need that the Chiefs need the Chiefs need pass offensive rushers, tackles
0: corners yeah. offensive um, linemen yeah
1: the Chiefs need offensive linemen but if he's there why not yeah. <laughs> just do it I don't care
0: it would be very nice. Where are we sending Rondell Moore? Because he's um, a guy we need to give him touches, and we need to put him in the right environment for it's him another, to succeed. It's,
1: another, it's another Kansas City one. It's another Green Bay one. Um, I think New Orleans could get really creative. Um, I don't know necessarily about Baltimore because it's another tiny little guy. Yeah. That you already have Hollywood who stinks, so I, I mean, I'm very tentative. Hollywood stinks, I can't, I haven't decided, I don't know, I don't like, I have no idea. Um, but I don't think he's necessarily a Baltimore guy,
0: yeah. I Baltimore definitely needs skill position guys, they got to help Lamar out, especially if they're going to pay him, which I. I, his contract is going to be very, very, very interesting. What team do you think talks themselves into O-Way way too high based purely on talent?
1: Uh, the, the Raiders. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, could... <laughs> uh, the, the I don't Raiders.
0: know how I didn't think of that. I don't know. Uh, I didn't
1: no, no. I actually, I think, like, I, uh, again, if I was betting on it, I mean, who else is more likely to do that?
0: No, you're not wrong. You sir are not wrong. Uh, they love their projects. They love traits. I. That's a team that's going to take Anthony Schwartz in like the second round, and everyone is going to yep. turn their head to the left. They took, just like
1: just like they took they took Lynn Bowden last year, yeah. and then uh, Malcolm just Perry. got rid of him,
0: and they took yeah. Malcolm Perry too. Yeah. Uh, uh, Oakland makes no sense. Vegas, whatever your whatever names are. Where's the Samuel Jr. going, sir?
1: that's a really interesting one cuz it's it, it there is a question of do you want or do you think he is an outside cornerback i don't i think he's probably a slot guy i feel like that's that's the most logical outcome some people do think he's an outside corner i'm not against him being an outside corner i think he's better in the slot which brings your value down but if somebody believes in him as an outside corner um I think Tennessee is desperate for corner, like obviously desperate for cornerbacks after cutting both of them. Um, so that that would I think would be the ceiling. Um, mm-hmm. Jets can't rule it out. I don't necessarily know if he's a great scheme fit for for the zone defense there. I think Newsom would be definitely better. But um, Jets, any uh, again, like if Dallas doesn't take Sertan or JC. At the top there, like their second round pick, there are a lot of teams early second round that could use corners. Cleveland could use a corner. Um, Again, I I think 20 to to 50, there's going to be a huge run on cornerbacks and all of them are pretty much going to be the same guy value-wise to me. I don't necessarily know if one is at all better than the others.
0: I have two last questions for you and then I'm going to get you out of here. Number one, which running go- back goes first and what round do they go?
1: Najee Harris won. First round. I can't what? tell you where. Somebody's gonna do it. Um I can't I can't rule out um Miami. Like I do see don't, Miami. Like I think I think Miami might do it. I hope they don't. Well I hope they do as a Jet fan. I hope they don't because I really like that team and I think it would be a waste. Yeah. Um Pittsburgh, like somebody and ever like there is there is no chance we go without a running back in round one mm-hmm. i think he's the third best out of all of these guys i would take etn and I, I i would take in this or i mean in the order i would take williams then etn but i think one of them goes in the. it's not going to be javante in the first round i think one of the other two goes in the first round I would bet Harris just because he's the bigger name at this point. I think ETN is very clearly the better NFL player.
0: I'm very curious to see what happens there. I know we all do this every year. Us football guys who uh, don't want running backs in the first round solely because it doesn't make sense in terms of positional value. Someone will do it. Someone will cause gasps. I, I mean, we saw the Raiders give Kenyon Drake money for some reason that no one really understands. People still like running backs, even if they are very replaceable. And the last person I wanted to touch on here is someone I had someone text me about the other day. What team is talking themselves into Jamie
1: Newman as a project? I think this is where you start thinking, like, hey, Atlanta, two years from now is a long time. Washington doesn't have a real quarterback. I think Washington has a very good Davis-Mills spot at 51, I believe their second-round pick is. I think that's a very good Davis-Mills spot. Not that I have Davis Mills graded that highly, but I think that's he's going to go in the second round just because he's so clearly the next best quarterback. I think Washington, I think um, Jamie Newman. Could be a Raider, <laughs> like, again. uh Could be a Ram. They don't have a lot of picks is the problem, but, I mean, Stafford's got – however many years left i don't think john wolford is is their long-term answer even though he started a playoff game um i don't know there are a lot of teams like when you get to the to the third round i think every team like immediately becomes eligible my my thing is is i am again this is a drafting for value quote-unquote thing i'm a take a quarterback every year guy because if you if you hit Gardner Minshew in the sixth round and for whatever reason he has to play and he's good, that's just another asset that you have to trade. Um, so I am – I think that the value – a rookie contract quarterback, especially not even a first-round rookie contract quarterback, is the most valuable thing in sports. And I think you should have one of those a year if you have the capital to, to necessarily do so just in case because it's such a valuable asset.
0: I just thought of this while you were talking. So this is your last question. What team will be the best, most improved based on what they do on draft night this year? One team, if you had to guess, what team will be the most improved? You can take that however you want, whether it's directly wins and losses better in terms of direction of the team, they're closer to winning a Super Bowl, even if their record doesn't change that much. Who gets the best on draft night? I think it's San Francisco to me cuz I think I mean, if you drop I think
1: a... San Francisco has San Francisco it's it it is going to be the the biggest immediate jump, right? Cuz it That's if they take it has to be. Yeah. Yeah,
0: you, I mean if you're taking a guy at 3, he has to start,
1: right? At some point this year. Like you're yeah. not going to sit the third overall pick for the whole year. And then the other obvious answer, I mean teams that are close I think the Chargers, if yeah. you get a lockdown tackle and then and then take a wide receiver on day two, you are gonna get a lot better. I think Miami very obviously has the potential to get a lot better um of teams that are close. And then Philly, Philly has the most picks. Like yeah. Philly get Philly gets to step up to the plate the most. And for a team that is so bad, I think that's important because you're getting You know, this is Minnesota had 15 picks last year and only like six of them made the roster. But and that's a team that was not what was close enough, but, you know, wasn't necessarily they're not Philly can have all 11 draft picks on their roster. That's how bad they are. So I think Philly is just Philly is I don't know whether they're going to be good or bad, but Philly has the most opportunities at this. And they're so bad that all of these guys should, in theory, matter.
0: TJ, tell the people a little bit about Boomer Bust and how you guys are handling the next few weeks leading up to the draft because you are an invaluable resource for people who don't have the time to scour the tape to go through the, the stat sheets game by game.
1: Uh, so Boomer, Boomer Bust, uh, the draft show, that's us, hello, uh, at Boomer Bust Draft on Twitter. Uh, youtube apple spotify whatever you, you're on however you want to watch or listen to us we're, we're on all of that uh how are we handling the next few weeks it's a tremendous question um we're figuring it out we're doing big board 3.0 i think two weeks from now at this point our final update and we did uh, on youtube or wherever you're going to find us we have top 10, uh, positionals. We break down our top 10 guys at every position from our last big board, which was right after the super bowl. And there's going to be some guys. So we're going to do updated, um, guys who come in and out based on pro days. I know there's, um, for some reason, nobody else likes Greg Newsom except for me. So Greg Newsom did not make the top 10 quarterback video from this, from the super bowl, but Greg Newsom uh, will be in the next one for, for any jet fans who have made it this far. Um, and then we got some, uh, hopefully, some some pretty cool interviews uh, happening. Uh, you know, just sending sending emails, getting emails back. Hopefully, some things uh, will come to fruition. We're doing our own combine because we love making fun of ourselves. So if you want to see just normal people try to run a forty and me probably pop a hammy, uh, you're more than welcome. And then uh, lastly, we are uh, going to be live on, on YouTube, Twitter, in some capacity for, for the actual draft. So um, I'd like to think we got you covered for the next month. Uh, but follow us on Twitter, definitely, to, to stay up to date, at Draft Instagram. I think we're on TikTok as well. I don't entirely – I don't run the TikTok, so I don't really know how that works. But, um, you know, we uh, we shove content down your throat. Yeah. That, that I can guarantee you. So uh, if you – Want a crash course? Um, I, I think we're a decent spot for it.
0: Absolutely, I cannot recommend the positional rankings enough. I know I've been using them a lot, trying to get my brain ready for the draft because, as a fellow content creator, this time of year is very plentiful in material and having resources like the Boomer buster the draft show, either the videos or just listening to the podcast. There's a lot of information to consume this time of year and getting it in the most efficient way possible is really important, and getting it from places that are putting in the work, that's what matters this time of year. Yes, putting on SportsCenter in the background and having someone talk about XYZ's Pro Day is helpful, but getting it from someone who's sitting there crunching the tape, like my friend PJ, like the rest of his friends, like Max, very important this time of year. Thank you so much for coming on, PJ. Tomorrow, people, we will have baseball talk, opening day is today when you're listening to this my friend chris will be back we're going to be talking strategy and baseball tactics in the 21st century very very nerd episode for friday following up a football nerd episode on thursday i hope you guys enjoyed today's show i will see you guys tomorrow